for this morning, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3 today, looking at uh, according to Scripture alone. And as you turn there, let me just set up how important this text is, uh, not only just because it's Scripture, but to our very existence this morning as a church, and to kind of set up this series for us and why we would take the month of January and to just clarify once again here at the beginning of 2023 what we hold most dear. Here's why we're doing that. On October 31st, 1517, quite a long time ago, a man named Martin Luther nailed or placed, not quite sure, a document upon the Wittenberg Castle Church door. It had 95 concerns on it about the current church of that day. Now, these theses, they confronted some heretical leanings of the church. This guy named Luther, he loved the church. He wanted to debate. He didn't really want to cause a revolt. He literally just wanted to debate these concerns. This is the beginning of what we call the Great Reformation, and we owe a lot of debt, too. He simply wanted to debate... And let Scripture guide the conversation. Scripture alone was his authoritative guide. And come to find out, that was a problem. (laughs) You see, he and many others had begun to see in God's Word contradictions to what the church was teaching and promoting. Though he never used, or any of the reformers used the term five solas, it's been the way that we are summarizing the findings, the things that were important. Uh, It's how we can get to the heart of what this time was all about, what these 95 concerns were calling the church to come back to, to reform towards. And you know what they serve us today? Clear, succinct statements that we hold dear, that we fight to protect. They are scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, for God's glory alone. You may be saying you're forgetting all your prepositions. We'll get there because they are crucial as well. Now, this has just been an easy way, a succinct way to summarize what that time was all about and really what this Reformation did for the church, and we owe a lot of debt too. Uh, It's found throughout all of the writings, through all the preaching, and what it does for us today, it continues to serve. It continues to serve as a very succinct way of declaring essential truths that we believe, things that we are resolute about. All these solas are driven by the view that Scripture alone does not err. It actually has the final authority. Luther actually said, as this time period was going on, and it was quite a time period, he said, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor inflicted so much damage upon it. Here's what he said. I did nothing. The word did it all. Because come to find out, the word is, fairly powerful. It's almost as if it's a two-edged sword piercing deep. So sola scriptura, if you want to get real fancy, was and is the formal principle of the Reformation. Without it, it doesn't exist. It doesn't 
happen. What is that? That scripture alone has authority. It really was the word of God that was in question throughout this time period of the church. The scripture is what gave boldness to Luther and really all the reformers like Tyndale, many people before them like Wycliffe, hundreds of years earlier. Do you know what they all had in common? That scripture alone was the highest authority. They stood on something greater than just their opinion, something bigger and more trustworthy than their own logic. They, sp- they stood underneath God's written word to man. It is what had authority. It is the very word of God. It's important, church. History proves and tells us that we cannot let go of this essential truth. And you may be thinking, well, how did they get there? Why is it that this has come to be something that the church continues even today to bring around? Well, how do they get to God's word alone being their sufficient and authoritative God? Well, it was from Scripture itself. Scriptures like 2 Timothy 3, 14, and we'll read down to chapter 4, verse 5. So if you have your Bibles, hopefully by this point you've turned there, you've been able to find it in your printed edition um, or your electronic communication device. We're going to start in verse 14 of 2 Timothy 3 and read to 4, 5. Verse 14, but as for you, that's Timothy, you Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Sounds familiar. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, And by his appearing and his kingdom, verse 2 of 4, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachings to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. A scripture that perhaps many of you are familiar with, and any pastor better read and read frequently. Paul is writing to young Timothy. This letter is his final words to the one man who has the, or 
maybe I could say it this way, to the one man who was the real deal, if you will. 2 Timothy 1.5 states that Timothy has a sincere faith. That's how Paul puts it. But more literally speaking, it was that his faith was without hypocrisy, literally speaking. For me, it's easier, easier just to say he was the real deal. He was the real deal. He was the man that would carry along the great work God had done through Paul. Timothy was the real deal, and Paul takes these final few moments of his life to charge him to pass along the torch, to hand the baton, if you will. Well, how does he do that? Well, he does that by putting emphasis where? On the word. Emphasis on God's word as the highest authority for salvation and for growth. Because Paul knew intuitively that the only way the torch gets passed is to pass along the word. And then that person passes along the word. And then that person passes along the word, and on and on and on. Like a 4 by 100 relay in the Olympic Games, you can have the fastest runners in the entire world. But if the baton does not transfer from one person's hand to the next, the race is over. But we're so fast! Oh, well, the baton was not handed. The race is over. A church, the race is over when they let go of God's word. The race is over. Paul insists in this little letter. You should read 2 Timothy. It's a glorious letter. He insists that Timothy take the word calls it sacred writings here, scripture, that he had received, interestingly enough, when he was a child, that he had received, that he had heard from early age. And you may be wondering, well, pastor, well, what are these sacred writings? How do we know that this is the scriptures, the word? Well, the word sacred writings, scripture, Timothy, we learned, had been acquainted with them. Since childhood, he has become so thoroughly convinced of their truthfulness. And do you know that ancient literature from the first century A.D., it indicates that Jewish children, that they were fit for the scriptures at five years of age. So he started to give it to the kids, and Timothy was given this word. So Timothy, being a Jewish man, had encountered these sacred writings. He engaged with them through faithful examples. And now he has to take all of that, those sacred writings, and carry those on. Now to the question at hand. The reference to sacred writings. It refers specifically, and you can do a search. We can grab coffee later and I can show you. But it refers to the Old Testament But we know with the parallel statement in verse 16 that all Scripture, 
This is really comprehensive here. The sacred writings. Oh, and by the way, all of scriptures. It was a word that was used to identify writings that were believed to be from God that had authority. So this would include the entirety of the Bible. Timothy, this is your baton. Hand it over and continue to do that. Paul has in mind all these sacred writings were classified as Scripture. The Old Testament, the Gospels, some of his own writings. You don't believe me? Peter actually calls some of Paul's writings Scripture. He also includes, they're kind of hard to understand sometimes. But Peter looks at that and says, this has authority. So what is he getting at? What is he telling Timothy and in turn telling you and I? He's telling them to take all the apostles' writing, take all of the scriptures and carry them. All the scriptures that have been uh, carried along by the Holy Spirit and written for us. Paul is saying these are what you commit your life to. You want something written on your tombstone at the end of your life? Let it be he, she was committed to God's word. Because that is what is most essential. Paul is saying, he's looking Timothy in the eyes, an old man who knows Timothy well. He said, these, this is what you commit your life to just like I. And the moment Paul says, just like I well, with that, Timothy knows just how committed he was through suffering. Just like Lois and Eunice, mom and grandma, just like they have done. Stay faithful to them. Timothy, you do the same. If the work is going to continue of making disciples, if the gospel is going to spread to the ends of the earth, it lives and dies with these writings, with scripture. Why does Paul make such a big deal about God's word? Why are we making such a big deal about all these writings and these scriptures? Well, it doesn't take long as we get into verse 16 to hear a very unique characteristic of God's word. We learn that all these writings are what? They are God-breathed. Don't you love that high imagery? I'm a fan of that. So when you go home and you read that, I want you to see this. They are breathed out by God. They are from his mouth. The commitment to Scripture first and foremost, why? Because of the source. God, Him. Self. He has all authority. Just like the old prophets would say, Thus saith the Lord. And then they would do what? Declare the message to people. Paul is saying here that when Scripture is read, God is speaking, God is talking, God is working. Maybe when you read the Scriptures, perhaps you should just think in your mind and preface each reading with, Hey, thus saith the Lord, and then dive in. (laughs) 
You see, these words exist because God spoke them. Through the prophets, through the apostles, guided by the Holy Spirit. These inspired scriptures is how we refer to this reality, this characteristic of this book. It's more than a history book. It is God's words to us. Once again, let's have coffee. Let's talk about that. But that is what Paul is getting at. This is why this is so important to you and I. This is God's very word. I do not want you to miss the importance here this morning. Or perhaps rather the authority that is founded in these words. It is upon God by which we look at these words and submit to it. Well, what are these writings to do for him and for the church? So there's one pretty significant reason why these scriptures are important. It's, it's God's word. How else are we to know what we're supposed to do? God, would you tell us? Oh, I just wish you would tell me. Oh, really? I have. I have told you. But see, Paul, being a, a good follower of Christ, gives us more reasons why God's word would be so significant. Why are these words so important for the church? Because of what they can do. Do you catch that little string of characteristics of what the word does? Teach, reprove, correct, train. Maybe you don't like any of those words because you don't want to be told what to do. But the reality is this has such an impact in our life that it can do this comprehensive work. If you're unwilling to have this done in your life, well, let's have coffee. <laughs> let's chat about our hearts, brothers and sisters. Because if you're anything like me, just ask my family, I got a lot of work to do. I got a long ways to grow in my maturity when it comes to Christ. My own life, my own thinking, my own selfishness? Yes, believe it or not, I'm selfish at times. I know it's just really hard to believe. No amen. Anyway, these writings are helpful because they're God's word, but they teach us. Do we want to understand God? You go to his word. It teaches us about him, gives us a right view of who he is. You want to know who we are? Go to God's word because it teaches us on who we are. It instructs us on how to be the people of God so that we're not just shooting in the dark. But we can do things that are effective and good and honorable unto our holy and great God. It teaches us. We never arrive. We're always learning. God's word not only teach, it reproof. Reproof. It works. Maybe the word should be rebuke so that you're clear on what it does. Yes. This is kind of the negative side, right, reproof, and then the positive side of correction. God's word never just kicks us out and goes, well, I hope you figure it out. But no, it's willing to confront us. It's willing to lovingly look us in the eyes and say, that's not a good action. 
That is not a healthy thing to do. No, that is not who God is. As much as you want to believe that, I'm sorry, but that is not who God is. We need God's word to look into our life and say, you, my friend, are wrong. I know I don't like hearing that either. Most of the time in fights I have, I'm pretty sure I'm right. I'm not, but we need God's word, church, to always be setting us right. And that's what we see in the Reformation. It is setting the church right. And we owe a lot of debt to that for godly men and women to come around God's word and let it work rebuke. See, this is the negative side that's sometimes really hard for us, but there's a beauty of God's word. It doesn't just slap us around. It pits us up, gives us new clothes to wear, gives us a better direction, helps us develop a plan. It gives us a way to push forward. It corrects the bad behavior and helps us lean towards the right behavior. Not only does it just help us lean towards the right behavior by saying, just because I told you so, it leans us towards the right behavior because then it unpacks of why oftentimes that would be healthy. Your life experience shows that when we go with God's word, it tends to work out better for us. Does that mean you avoid suffering? No, that's not what I'm saying. God's word rebukes, but it corrects, brings someone towards right behavior, gives them the corrective. No, this would be better. And not only does it do all that, but it trains us. Trains us not only in how to shoot a slingshot really well. My son got a slingshot for Christmas, but doesn't just train us on how to do math equations. It trains us in something way more important. Righteousness trains us how to live in such a way that will be honorable, right, according to God's word, consistently being something that would bring glory and honor unto the Lord. A great summary of the usefulness of Scripture and the life of believers in the church is this. Do we hope either in our own lives or in our teaching ministry, to overcome error and grow in truth, to overcome evil and grow in holiness, do you hope for that? Then it is to Scripture that we must turn, for Scripture is profitable for these things. Equipping us for all that we need. Do you need more convincing That God's word is so essential for your life personally and for the church. From this thorough view of God's word, or, or thorough view of God's work in our lives through the scriptures, we can conclude pretty easily that scripture is sufficient, clear, has authority, and necessary. Scripture alone contains the words of God that he intended for us to have. It's what's needed for salvation, for trusting him, obeying him. It is clear. You're like, Pastor, I've read some scripture. It isn't apparently clear. 
Well, it is written in such a way that individuals can understand it. Those who come willingly to hear from God. If this is what God's word does, how cruel of him to not help us understand it. And one thing that we learned so clearly together this morning is that it has authority. This will probably be the greatest rub in your life. That it has authority. To disbelieve, disobey God's word is to disbelieve and disobey God himself. God's word is necessary. It is what we need to know the gospel, maintain spiritual life, know God's will. You may be thinking, if you're a part of our disciple makers, boy, we've said this a lot, it's just so crucial. Why? Because of what Second Timothy says and what history tells us. And to be painstakingly clear, if you want to remember what do we believe about Scripture, just remember the word scan. Sufficient, clear, authority, necessary. Why do we believe all that? What we just looked at. The charge to Timothy out of that understanding of God's word, and really to all Christians, is to do what? Preach the word. What is the word here? Just to be painstakingly clear, it can be none other than God's word. If you look at the preceding verses, everything that has been said, the emphasis has been where? Scripture, upon God-breathed words. So that's the continuation of the thought here. So Timothy, because of this, preach. Give God's word. There's been multiple references all throughout 2 Timothy about God's word. It is clear here of what he is to preach. It is to preach the words of God. Paul's final challenge begins with preach the word. Preach the word. That Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.9 is not bound like he is in chains. Isn't this wonderful? From prison, I'm in chains. I can't go anywhere. <gasps> but God's word can. Timothy, continue to give it. It's not bound like we are at times. God's word must go forth, not man's words. God's word cannot be stomped out, overlooked, pushed aside, reasoned away. Though many try, oh no, it is not bound like human words. Isaiah 55, remember this scripture, 10 and 11? For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The rain that falls outside these doors will have an impact on the ground. God's word will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. Scripture is God's word breathed by him through humans who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You may be wondering, what, if, if that's God's word, what in the world happened? And why are we saying something that we all go, yeah, I believe? Why would we take the time to remind ourselves of this glorious truth? 
what happened. If this is Paul's encouragement to Timothy, then how in the world, why did there need to be a reformation? Why did there have to be a return to this original charge of Timothy? Well, as the church grew and expanded somewhere along the line, final authority begins to be questioned. Somewhere along the way, the church began to rely on sources other than God's word. They did not hear Peter's clear call to pay attention to God's word given to them through the prophets and apostles. During the 16th century, you history buffs, the church had moved towards the belief that final authority fell to scripture and traditions, with often the emphasis unfortunately falling to tradition as the final authority, a shift that was significant. And when you read 2 Timothy, you wonder how, how in the world sin, selfishness, man-centeredness. See, what had happened, this view that began to develop was saying that Scripture was not sufficient. It needed a little extra help. It's good, but it needs just a little extra help. Where tradition should have just kind of played a supportive role to Scripture, It actually moved to final authority. So the ultimate question being charged throughout that whole time period was, who has final authority? Where do we draw our beliefs from? Scripture had taken an equal role with tradition, and therefore it was subjected to man. It doesn't take long for us to realize this caused a host of problems. Of course it did primarily around soteriology, fancy words that means salvation. How does that happen? And if you want to get even more specific, around justification. Because here's what was happening. Luther and many, many, many people were so unsettled, uneasy in their souls, trying to work their way to heaven. Do you know what freed them? Scripture. It's teaching. It was like a breath of fresh air. A nice, warm cup of coffee on a cold day. It freed them. And it was all of a sudden, wait a minute. Here's what we have been missing. Scripture said that they were justified by Christ's death, which we're going to look at in the coming weeks rather than tradition saying they needed to do something to earn it. They were crushed and unsettled, and when the truth was recovered from the pages of God's word, oh, it had an impact. The word did it all. So this is why it is necessary to come back to Scripture being our final authority, to avoid unhealthy, soul-crushing theology derived by man. The truth of Scripture has set Luther free and many others. And it was upon the truth that was found in God's Word that began that period of change that we owe a lot to. But you have to understand, if Luther and the Reformers did not have a robust view of Scripture, of God's very words, then that discovery would have held no weight would have 
not had its long-lasting impact as it's had. So you may be thinking, well, Pastor, that was a long time ago. Surely there's nothing today. Well, there are some concerns. What are some contemporary issues of why we would spend time this morning looking at God's word, reminding ourselves what we are so resolute about? Well, in the early 1900s, movement of called liberalism, not political. And maybe I can make it even more clear and painstakingly clear. This will always be an issue when it comes to God's word. Man-centeredness. This would be the best way to describe a humanistic view of all things. Because what develops is an unwillingness to see the entrance of God and his creative power into the world. That God could actually move and perform miracles. And guess what? That God could actually enable humans to write down what he desired to have written in Scripture. When we start with a man-centeredness, a host of problems occur. We lose our ability to know truth. Because it's hard for us to imagine, how does that happen? I don't know. But God's word is truthful. God's word is what has the final say, not man's, not reason, not human experience. We have a tendency to lean that way. This will always be our difficulty. It doesn't make sense to me, so I reject it. That's beginning with a man-centeredness. A theologian many, many years ago wrote a book about this, and it's so true. Here's what he said. Dark and gloomy would be the world if we were left to our own devices and had no blessed word of God. That's true. That is, that is true. It's not a burdensome law to us, but it's actually our freedom, much like the Reformation brought to mind. Word cannot, or we cannot make the word captive to our individuality, but we become captive to the word. Word is primary. Here's another issue that we could be clear on this morning. What's something we may refer to as limited inerrancy, meaning Scripture is inerrant only in matters of faith and practice. In other issues, it errs. This is kind of a more modern thought. And we're not really still out of the woods yet of the watering down of Scripture. Because if Scripture is to be understood as God's Word and reliable, it must also bear His character, which is truthfulness. That's what Titus 1 tells us about God. It says very plainly, God does not lie. Not only is the the Bible's essential message true, it is itself true and without era. You see, you and I cannot confuse precision for truthfulness. A few weeks back, there was an accident that happened right at our intersection here at the red light. I bet if you interviewed four different people who saw that accident, you would get different takes. If you ask someone from Tennessee to describe something, they'll say, well, head on down to the oak tree and take a left. And maybe it was more than a mile that they said, oh, a mile or so. Are they lying to you? Their precision has nothing to do with the truthfulness of what they are saying. God's word is true. 
Thirdly, if we want to swing the pendulum the other way, it's been referred to nuda scriptura. Like, what in the world is that? Basically meaning no confession. We will look at nothing else. Though scripture holds final authority, brothers and sisters, we cannot swing the pendulum too far to dismiss others in the process at arriving at what scripture says. Any theological thinking that has been arrived by yourself has the potential to be dangerous. Notice the term is scripture alone, not scripture only. Sola Scriptura is not a position that will allow, that, that kits out other voices, such as creeds, confessions, how others understand the scripture. Now, of course, let me be clear. We accept others' thinking in as much as they conform to scripture themselves. For instance, let's say a Bible scholar, a preacher, wants to interpret a passage of Scripture that there is no, not one historical precedent ever for that understanding. Well, he would be wise to go back to his study in prayer and relook at that text while considering what hundreds of years of interpretation says. A person cannot interpret the Bible however they want however he or she pleases, with no regard to the community of believers in ages past. We just simply can't do that. Believe it or not, some took this thinking so far during the Reformation as to not even read their Old Testaments, considered it irrelevant. Now, that's a big swing, but it happens in this thinking. Others turned only to the Holy Spirit and their experience. Oh, don't tell me anything. I'm just going to let it marinate. Believers from the past struggled with this as well. Others sought reason guided by the Holy Spirit. So anything that seemed reasonable, sure. Anything that seemed unreasonable, well, reject it. I'm just giving us a delicate balance here. We cannot adhere to Scripture so staunchly that we lose sight of the body of believers for all time who help us understand the Bible has the final say, yes and amen. And God has given us the capacity through the Holy Spirit and others to arrive at that final say. Why is it important that we do this this morning? Because we have been charged to pass the baton of God's word to those who come after us. In 200 years from now, when we're dead and gone, I hope people look at Light in the Desert Church and say, that's a bunch of people that love God's word. Praise the Lord. If there's only three of them here, they are a people who love God's word. It is inspired, it is sufficient, it is necessary, it is clear, it is trustworthy, and it has final authority. So this morning, let's make it clear. Scripture alone is our authoritative God. But I want to challenge you. Your greatest difficulty, my greatest difficulty, will be the Bible's authority. We're going to have a tendency to lean into our own reason, our own logic, our own experience. But if we are going to continue the work of God through 2023, that the great apostle Paul committed to, we must commit ourselves again and be resolute on God's word as our authoritative God, even if that bothers you. Our starting point can never be man, the individual but scriptures 
and what it says about itself. We must let history be our warning. Never let scripture be diminished in the life of the church. Martin Luther said one time, let the man who would hear God speak read holy scripture. Your application's easy this morning. Read your Bible this week. And church, let us join arms and be resolute that Scripture alone is our authoritative God. Read your Bible this week. Grab a friend. Read the Bible with a friend. Hey, this is January 1. Get a reading plan. Whatever it is to put the authoritative God of God's Word before you daily, do it. If you're here with us, you don't think much about Christ or how He made sense to life, might I suggest Read your Bible. Or if you don't have one, I'll give you one. Let that be an option to teach you about who God is. Brothers and sisters, let us be resolute this year. Scripture alone is our authoritative God. Let's pray. Father God, this morning I am so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for the rain outside reminding us of just how refreshing your word is to our life. Father, as we hear ambulances and we hear things happening outside of us, it makes us mindful that this community needs us to be resolute on our understanding of your word. Father, we pray if, if someone is hurt near us that you'll look after them. We pray that somehow, some way, the gospel will be presented to them if they don't know you. Bring family around them. Maybe they have a church family. I don't know. But Father, it just makes us so mindful that the community is desperate for truth and we Christians have it at our disposal. It's your word. Father, would you help us this year to love your word more and not only love it, but give it as often and as frequently as we can. Father, there's some among us who don't know you. We ask that they would open up the Bible as well, that they would be willing to let it speak into their life. Father, it is in your holy and precious name that we pray this morning. Amen.